0: Sahana Babatu Sahana Bunaktu Sahavidyam Karavahai namaste to all picking up where we left off a very interesting story of shaka uh, shaka Nya telling Brihadratha the story of valakhyas valakhyas who approached prajapati for the knowledge and um, and, and from their question itself, we see in mantra three. The you know mantra one and two are just introductory, so I haven't included because it's a long Upanishad. We will not have the time to look at everything. In fact, we are going to skip the whole of the third lesson, um, and uh, you know. So like this, we will be uh, doing some selections so that at the end of it, you have an idea of what the Upanishads' are or purport is okay yeah so now uh, just repeating the mantra so that we can all be on the same page atha khalviyam brahma vidya sarvopanishad vidyava rajan asmakam bhagavata maitrina akhyatam te kathai syami iti here shakainya says i'm going to teach you exactly as my teacher the Lord Maitri taught me and then he launches into a story which Maitri told and uh, so and then in this story there are there is you know so already the Upanishads is a dialogue between the teacher Shakayanya and the student Brihadratha, but inside this dialogue we are hearing another dialogue between the Valakhyayas and Lord Prajapati you know talked about or enumerated by another teacher who was the teacher of Shaka Anya, who is Maitri, so you see this, this is all even though it seems like a very convoluted exercise why does he have to invoke Maitri, he is after all an avatar, and why does he have to then bring in this story of the Valakhilyas and uh, Lord Prajapati, you see this is what differentiates um, Vedanta Shastra and the Vedanta Shastra Parampara, the teaching tradition of Vedanta from a cult. Ah, This is how it is is, uh, very important. This is what makes it extremely important because otherwise what's the difference between a cult And, uh, you know, which is teaching something where the teacher is also teaching something and there are lots of people there learning, listening, etc. And then there is one teacher sitting and, uh, you know, teaching. What? Don't ask. But, you know, that's not even the point here. But they are teaching something, some teacher. And then there are students, you know, and then everybody claps. Everybody is happy. Some are... Ecstatic, some are you know weeping with joy and they all go home and they come for the next satsang. What's the difference? You know, on the face of it, we say no difference because even in Vedanta class, everybody is joyous, everybody is clapping, some are moved and weeping, and you know, and they all love the teacher, and then they also go home and come back for the next class. What is the difference? Big difference. <laughs> The cult is all about the personality of the teacher and in Vedanta it is is about Purusha the person not the personality. It is about that invariable person that abides in the teacher, that abides in the teacher's teacher and the teacher's 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 teacher and in the student and the student's student, and the student's student's student. How can the student have a student? The student turned teacher who has a student. You know, like this, it is not about the personality. It's not about the personality of the teacher, which one is always told to, uh, you know, transcend. One is told to go beyond the personality, to not get caught up in the personality of the teacher, instead focus on the purusha that one is sarvan purayati purusha, the one that fills up everything, and that is to be discovered as the truth of oneself. And so this way that you know the, the students are not attached to the the body mind complex of the teacher. They see the teacher as a vehicle of teaching what has already been taught over and over for several thousand years, not even for several generations. Huh? This is what is the you know this is what is the teaching here that te- the, in the Guru Parampara itself there is an important teaching and what's the important teaching? The important teaching is that this is you know non-negotiable because even though we talk about the need for the teacher, even though we, we talk about the greatness of the teacher and, and the mahima, the glory of the teacher without which the knowledge cannot be gained, it is it is both a personal connection that one has with the uh, teacher, but then it is immediately depersonalized by saying, this is not about the person, personality of the teacher, this is about what they have studied, and and you know. So you bring in the whole parampara, and it keeps the tre- it it does two three things which are very important. So bringing the parampara into the discussion and into our our awareness, you know, makes it uh, uh, makes it paka in many ways. First, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's 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 a it's a knowledge that has come, you know from thousands of years, and therefore we take it seriously, because we say, oh my god, that person got this knowledge, that person also got this knowledge, this person became an Atma jnani, and all the rishis who have gained this knowledge are Atma jnanis, therefore I can also become an Atma jnani. Second, there is more, it is easier to trust a parampara than to trust a person, one person. (laughs) Ah, already one has trust issues when one comes to this knowledge. You know, what are they teaching, who are they, etc., etc. It's not easy to trust because the one who is coming to the knowledge is the one filled with distrust. Even so, the, even though the person is trying very hard to cultivate Shraddha, it's, it's easier to cultivate Shraddha and, and surrender it to that Shraddha to an entire parampara rather than one person. Because if you say one person, where did he get this knowledge? Where did she get this knowledge? You don't know. You know, though it all becomes like a cult, and the person will also say, Apne ap, I got this knowledge all by myself. That is something very scary. Even though people are impressed by the fact that, oh, this person did not need to go to Agurukula. <laughs> you know, that is, that is scary. Because, you know, if one is a not a Shrotriya, meaning the one who has not, Listen, be, been exposed systematically to this knowledge for a period of time, then there is no, there is no hope of gaining this knowledge. And, and there is no hope for gaining this knowledge from such a person, because what they teach is, is just, uh, you know, uh, Kapola Kalpita. Kapola Kalpita means when the skull starts to think. <laughs> skull should not think. What is inside the skull should think but here the skull starts to think and make up its own thing. You know, atma, supreme, bliss, uh, this, uh, at once, you know, that reality, and this, and that, and something you make up. You make up as you, you know, go along, because you've just, uh, your knowledge is not from, uh, you know, uh, not from uh, a, a dedicated engagement, with, uh, with the teachings, with the help of a teacher, your knowledge is from what? From the, this fellow's knowledge is from just, uh, you know, dabbling in some books and some, you know, sort of listening to some things here and there and uh, just, you know, crafting their own whatever, whatever they think it should be based on their ragadveshas already one is having trouble with one's ragadveshas to get ri- get rid of that one goes to the teacher and then what happens in the process in the process one picks up the ragadveshas of the teacher <laughs> not nice so here the the param the first thing that the, the reason you know i i, I want you to look at this carefully because you know it's not just for the sake of talking that all these uh, story within a story within a story is taking place and neither is shakayanya trying to, what should I say, you know, uh, show off how many stories and how many dialogues he knows. That's not what it is. There is a purpose why the Upanishad is talking about this. First, to make the person safe. Okay, if Maitri has taught this, if if some, if the has got it, and then, you know, then they taught other uh, people. And then, you know, Shakayanya has this knowledge. And he learned from Maitri, he too learned from somebody. So, even an avatara like Shakayanya is not exempt from having a teacher. So, there is no apne of ap knowledge. Just like Lord Krishna went to Gurukula when, you know, along with Sudama and Balarama, he went to the Gurukula and studied with a teacher, Sandipani. Yeah, even, he, even the avatara is not exempt because the avatara having donned the human body, you know, goes through the motions of whatever needs to be done to, to show the people what needs to happen, what is the right way to be. And so here, Shakayanya, even though he's an avatara, says, I have a teacher, and I can just teach you what my teacher, I cannot improve upon what my teacher has taught me, this is what the whole thing is, very beautiful. And the second thing that the parampara does, which I've already discussed, first thing it makes it safe for everybody to study, it, uh, it resolves trust issues. And the second thing it does is, it makes sure it's not a cult. Yeah, it's not a cult, but a culture of learning. <laughs> ah, from teacher to teacher to teacher to teacher karna parampara from ear to mouth to from the that mouth to the next ear etc etc so therefore you know it's not a cult it's not it's it's it makes it easier for one to transcend the personality of the teacher and just focus on the knowledge so that uh, the third thing that, and the final thing that the parampara does it it, it keeps transference to a minimum yeah it ensures that the whatever transference is there, which is inevitable on part of the student, because the student re- is reacting to you know the student is having teacher guru allergy, the student is having some reacting to something the teacher said or did. It keeps that to a minimum, because it gives an opportunity for the student to examine one's own mindset and where these thoughts and fears and this transference is coming from and gives a, an opportunity for the student to work through that transference without putting it all on the teacher because if the teacher is not responsible for the knowledge. Huh? The teacher is merely a vehicle of the knowledge. That is why all these stories are talked about. Okay, And then we saw the greatness of the Vala And, uh, you know, and what did they ask? Also we saw part of it because they, you know, they they say, you know, uh, they, they abruvan, abruvan means they said, what did they say? Bhagavan shakatam iva achetanam shariram. This, this body is as insentient as a God, you know, and who is this, this being who transcends the senses? meaning who is not available for objectification of the senses and who is this being and what is this being, you know, who because of whom in this form uh, by whom this kind of a dead body is Chetanavat propped up with sentience, Pratishtapitam propped up, literally. <laughs> Yeah, just like, you know, you one props up the dead body in a particular uh, pose because the person is a sadhu or something like that. After death, the sadhu's body cannot sit in a, in a what is that, cross-legged uh, padmasana pose. So they use, uh, the, t- take the help of sticks, ropes, etc. and they prop up the body. And so to speak, while alive, also this body is as good as dead because that animating force is not the property of this body. This is what we have to understand. The animating force, that which animates the body and is the impeller, actually the word prachodaita, doesn't have a translation. Impeller we can say, the one who that one who inspires this body to move, the driver of this body, the stimulator of this body—I mean, you can translate it in various ways, but all of them fall short of of uh, of conveying the meaning here. And the meaning, you know, that's why we have to use numerous, um, you know, examples to convey this meaning. The meaning is that animating force. You know, just like the you know, and a the, the common example given by modern Vedantins um, is uh, is this one. You know, that the light bulb, you know, the the whole bulb is is insentient. It doesn't. It does not light up. But then, when you switch it on, the current goes to the light bulb, and suddenly it starts to glow. So then, when you switch it off, what happens? The 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 glow is goes back, goes back where, I suppose, back to the, to the source of where the electricity is coming from. So likewise here, the body is like a light bulb, and when it is animated, it comes to light, you know, it stretches, it it wakes up, it breathes, it moves, and you know, and it, it is, it eats, it drinks, it wails, it laughs, it, it it goes through agony, it goes through ecstasy, it has karma phala, first it has action, then it has karma phala and then it cries over the karma phala. So like this, this body does a lot of things, but then what is this animating force? And this animating force, you see they know also this, that it cannot be prana. Why cannot it be prana? It cannot be prana because prana is is itself insentient. Prana is made up of you know, uh, prana also is made up of five elements and everything, and prana is is insentient on its own. Prana is made active by whom? That is the next uh, next question that one has to ask, which is already you know packed into this question itself. Because if we unpack this question, that question also comes. Because they are not talking about prana. Yes, prana animates the body, but the prana is also a vehicle that that is carrying the life force, so to speak, or you know that that is that is helping it to the body to come to life. But then you know there is something else that is the observer of the prana because when you breathe and when you say oh my god I'm able to breathe and you observe the oxygen bathing the blood cells giving you know giving a new lease of life for this body especially if you have held your breath for some time and breathe oh my god how refreshing and and then you know you see that the the, the, the prana is not the, the, the awareness that they are talking about. Prana is comes and goes, and but this, you know, this being, this Bhagavan, of course, you know, Prana is nothing but Bhagavan. Bhagavan is not just Prana. Who is this Bhagavan who with the help of Prana is breathing life into this body? But also, who is this Bhagavan that is just, you know, that is animating this body, making it move, making it go here, go there. Who is that? You know, and this should immediately remind us. This this mantra number three should immediately remind us of two Upanishads. The first Upanishad it should remind us of is what it should remind us of Kathopanishad. Why? Why should this question remind us of Kathopanishad? You know. Why should it do that? Why should the Kathopanishad come to play here? Ah, chariot, that should what is come to mind, yeah. Chariot, yeah, there is a beautiful chariot analogy which is repeated at the end of the chapter, that's why we are not studying it, you know. So, because we've taken a very uh, big look at this whole, uh, you know, uh, this whole thing with the chariot and so, this chariot metaphor is very, you know, uh, beautiful because the whole body is like a chariot. rathakalpana. yes, correct. And so the whole body is like a chariot. And then the whole body is, you know, uh, what, animated, uh, you know by the driver in the form of the buddhi, in the form of that sentience, and the driver teaches the ratha Swami, the rider of the chariot, who is the owner of the chariot, the ahankara, how to be in life, etc., etc., and what makes the chariot move, and how to have good buddhi so that the chariot moves in the proper uh, place and walks, uh, learns to ride itself, uh, learns to be driven on the road of dharma. So, therefore, there is a lot of uh, overlap with the Kathopanishad Upanishad and then the question should also bring to mind another Upanishad, kene chitam pre-chitam patati manaha, yeah, very good, yes, you got it. So, keno Upanishad, it should bring it to mind, the keno Upanishad, it should immediately bring, because how does the keno Upanishad start, keno Upanishad starts with the word Kena. Ya, yeah. kene shitam pre shitam patati manaha. impelled by whom, stimulated by whom, ishitam, desired and controlled by whom, does the mind fall into various thought patterns, how does the thought happen in the mind, who is in charge of what I think? you know, kena prana, see the prana is brought in here, and uh, you know, and uh, all these things, chakshu kaudevo yunakti, and here in the Kena Upanishad, it's, it's very clear that Bhagavan is being talked about. You know, who is the one, yunakti, who is the one that joins the activity of the eyes to the mind, to the prana, to everything, who is the one that is that is joining these, these things and making it into a wonderful pattern of, you know, that makes sense. Kau devaha, who is this deva? Deva here is this effulgent being. And that effulgent being is revealed as this effulgent being, namely the I. So who is this effulgent being? And the answer is the self effulgent being in the form of the I, whose, you know, whose name is what Bhagavan, from the standpoint of the creator of the universe the the uh, you know the, the self effulgent consciousness the i gains a new name bhagavan ishvara and so similar here same thing here you know uh, uh, you know mahima Idrishaha mahima kasya you know kasya atiindriyasya bhutasya mahima so this glory they are saying cannot belong to the dead body which is propped up by sentience, so this sentience must be belonging to, must be the, you know, not even, the, we can't even say belonging to, you know, we are so short of words because we are trying to communicate that which is wordless, really. So, we can't even say belonging to, so who does this sentience you know, who, who is that, uh, that one who manifests this sentience and props up this body by lending its own existence and its own sentience? Yes, in the presence, very good. Yeah, so uh, who is that, that lends its own existence and its sentience and as it were, props up this body with sentience? Because before the sentience came into being, Nobody, yeah. I was a nobody, and then after this sentience departs, then again this body becomes a nobody. (laughs) So, therefore, this is you know, so obviously, the source of this sentience is outside this body, but because what have we observed that this body is like a cart and we have gone you know deep into the metaphor of the cart yesterday and uh, so you know we can move on um, and we have gone deep into the metaphor of the vala also yesterday and uh, so we can move on from that also and look at this question So, this, so obviously this is glorious they have recognized this that this sentience is there is itself glorious and that this sentience is all knowledge because why how how does this sentience become all knowledge the sentience is all knowledge because it has the knowledge within it to how to animate the body how to animate the body it has that knowledge and how to make this body move how to lend that sentience because that sentience is limitless because it is there in everybody, because everybody is as dead as a, as dead as you know a cart, as insentient. Everybody is breathed with the sentience. So how many sentiences can there be? <laughs> and that, and here it is revealed as a singular sentience. You know, Kasya, esha Mahima, Kasya, singular. It doesn't say Keshaam. <laughs> how many how many sentiences are there how many beings are there ekasya asya, bhutasya kasya mahima so it is all singular genitive case but how how can you infer that ha ha the answer is this is not something for inference if ishvara is inferred is the product of inference inference becomes more limitless than Ishvara, <laughs> Ishvara cannot be infer inferred. Like the Nyaya, the logicians try this and fail miserably. Fall, you know, they have, they have, uh, whatever, they have fallen on their uh, face flat, and then they have to get up and dust themselves off, you know. And the Vedantin will, uh, the the uh, Siddhantin, the Vedantin here will help. Oh, oh poor thing you fell down again here take this hanky wipe yourself no problem <laughs> why why do the logicians fall flat on the face listen to their argument you know you know they'll say this is you know idam jagat this jagat this universe is what is let us say it has got many ishvaras Kartrika means the, the 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 source, many sources, many Ishvara's, many kartas, many people who have brought this universe into manifestation, idam Shariram, sorry, idam jagat, aneka kartrikam. This you know, jagat has what, many, many authors, many creators, why not, you know, many is good, right? We have to accommodate everyone. And then what is the logic? The logic comes after this, you know, anekatma katvat. Anek means we see that, you know, the flower looks very different than the puppy and the puppy looks very different th- than the human being and the human being looks very different from the five elements. And then the, the five elements look very different from, you know, so many other things in the universe. The earth looks different from the air and the air looks different from space and the space looks very different from fire and the fire looks, of course, different from water. In fact, the two are opposite. So how can you say that, you know, the anekatmakatvam asti, you know, asya jagataha. So for this jagat, there is this thing, the the jagat is endowed with this status called anekatmakatvam. Anekatmakatvam means the manifoldness. Diversity. So this Jagat has the status of being a very very diverse thing because each thing is different and whatever each thing looks like is very different. Even in one family the two children are very different. One is very quiet and the other one is noisy, one is mischievous, the other one is rebellious. You know like this so many even in the same family and the children look very different from the parents. Leading each one, the children at some point ask themselves, am I adopted? Because these parents, they don't understand me, they are so different. And secretly the parents are also thinking that, (laughs) there was there an exchange in the hospital that we don't know about? How could we have given birth to this being, (laughs) you know? So each thing is different from another thing so anekatmakatvam asya jagatah asti so this jagat has some that has a has an attribute or a, or a, you know what's a, or a quality of anekatmakatvam meaning each thing is different different from another thing so therefore what therefore you know the anek api syat so, therefore, why not say that since each thing is very different from one another, then that means there are many, many creators, surely the person who is creating mountains is not creating, you know, the the the, uh, the mouse and certainly the person who is, who, is, who is making the puppy is not creating some other monstrous entity, you know, like a crocodile. Look how cute the puppy is and look how um, scary these crocodiles and these serpents and pythons and all these, you know, that variety of, uh, what is that, you know, the uh, reptiles, the reptilian uh, realm is. Surely it can't be the same person. So therefore, it has to be many authors. And what is your logic? I mean, this is, what is your proof, you know, of of this statement? Prasada, so the example is a local example. So you take a local example and then superimpose the whole jagat onto this local example. Like even Prasada, a big man, not not to be confused with Prasada. This is long a Prasada, which means a big palace or a mansion. So have you seen a mansion being constructed? Yeah. And don't you see that the one who makes the blueprint is an architect and the one who then digs the, you know, supervises the digging of the ground and everything is called the mason. And then the one who actually digs the ground is a certain kind of a worker, you know, construction worker. And so we have construction workers, we have masons, we have supervisors, we have people who lay the tiles, we have people who, you know, are in charge. We have electricians, we have, later down the road, we have plumbers and we have carpenters. And we have people, you know, and then we have the building inspector who comes in, certifies it as habitable, who gives us a certificate of habitation, you can go and live here, the ceiling is not going to fall on your head, it is safe. So, you know, you you get all these, you get this whole slew of people. Some of them are, you know, putting, and then, uh, and then these people further outsource because the grill and uh, the, the, you know, bars on the window come from some other place. And then the, uh, maybe you have some stained glass on some of the windows, they come from some other factory where they are manufactured by some other people. So obviously one person, you know, is sitting in, you know, on the earth, one person it's impossible to erect this huge mansion. We are just talking of a huge mansion which has many, many components, electrical components and it has, what else, you know, it has uh, uh, these um, plumbing components, wooden components, concrete components and then, you know, iron and all these things for the uh, load-bearing beams, you know, iron rods and everything. All these components are there. How can, you know, are you crazy? How can one person do everything? Obviously, that one person, you know, maybe, may have commissioned the building. Like the king says, I want a summer palace, build it. The, so the king has commissioned the building. But obviously, there are many, many kartas. And so, and you, you know, if one building can flummox you like this, you know, then what to talk of the whole jagat? The building is far easier, but think about the Jagat. First of all, the building is completely in, insentient, so you you don't have to think of, you know, uh, what is that? You don't have to think of uh, uh, this uh, sentient and insentient. But this Jagat has a mixture of sentient and insentient, and so think of how much more difficult it is, and think of how many more workers you need for this jagat to come into being. Therefore, therefore many Ishvaras, ishwaraha, <laughs> plural, you know, bhadavantaha, plural, you know, so, and uh, don't get too excited because, you know, uh, what is that? This is what is called Purva-Paksha, <laughs> Purva-Paksha means a certain, uh, it's a postulate, it's a wrong postulate that has that has uh, been dismissed in the question itself here. We are not even, we don't even have to wait for Prajapati's answer because of the emotional maturity of the Vada they have asked a question itself which is like the teaching, Yeah, which is bringing in the teaching the question itself is being bringing in the teaching you don't even have to wait for the answer it's amazing absolutely amazing and so here you know so this is the nayalka who has inferred ishvara you know yeah. you can write this down it's very nice you know idam jagat you can you know impress your uh, friends and uh, you know, kapika my guy, you can impress your friends or write a paper. It'll 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 be useful. Yeah. So idam jagat, idam jagat, I'm gonna write it here. Ane kartrikam. And then you know what is the logic? Anekat makatwad. Why how prasadavadi yeah, so you can you can write that down. This is the purva paksha. Um, you know, uh, purva paksha means this is the postulate that needs to be dismissed uh, by by the one who subscribes to Vedanta. How do we go about dismissing this? You know, should I write the meaning also, or you'll remember? Should I write the meaning? Okay, I'll write the meaning. Okay this universe has many many creators because it because it is visually because it is yeah because it is complex and diverse like even a palace that has various various components you know so this is a logical postulate because you you use as proof proof here something that you have locally observed and what have you locally observed you have observed some construction site and a big palace or a mansion being uh, being constructed and then that you, you use that example, uh, yeah, Purvapaksha means the, the uh, you know, wrong postulate, yeah. Purvapaksha means the doubts that reside in one's mind, why can't there be many Ishwaras, which are, uh, we, we, we have to be thankful to the Nayayikas, because of them we don't have to fall flat on the face. If we have these doubts, they have already asked it and fallen flat on their face. So, Purvapaksha means a wrong contention. Yeah. Siddhanta, correct contention. Yeah, so we don't have to have, you know, we don't have to have mud on our face because they have already fallen and taken the, you know, taken the blame for it also. So let's go back to the important, we let, the, the important thing is not to get stuck on the Purva Paksha, we have to come to what is called Siddhanta and what is the Siddhanta, what is the correct thinking here, you know, and how to defeat this postulate, very exciting first thing we have to see is that this postulate is, is is wrong the proof is wrong why because you are taking the a, a local example a local example of a local construction site where you see many workers come and go and do their job and come and go you know and you are you know uh, superimposing this local example on that which is not locally observed. We should ask the Nayaka, did you sit next to Ishvara and see the world being created? <laughs> he also or she also has to say no. The logician cannot say I observed the world being created. You know, cannot say that. No, because I'm here now. How can be? the world started 14 billion years ago? How can I have observed the Big Bang? You know, of course not. You know, I, I wasn't there you know even that is wrong but that doesn't matter you know uh, we are not going there now so here you know so then you 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 make him sit down and then say so how do you think that you are saying that the universe the construction of the universe is is that the crafting of the universe is same as the construction site how can you say that <laughs> you know Well, you know, you know, because there are similarities. You see how complex this palace is and you see how complex this universe is. And so I thought the two of them are the same. (laughs) So first of all, you know, you have to attack the proof. The proof is not a proof. Why? Because it's, you know, you cannot, uh, you know, put something on a different level of reality which has no basis at all. How can you put something on that level of reality which has no basis, no connection? Because this is not, you cannot say, you can say that if one palace has been, is aneka kartrikam, another palace is also aneka kartrikam, that is the proof. Okay. You know, but you cannot say, just because the palace has many creators, so too the universe also must have many creators. This is, the, the proof itself is wrong. So, the proof becomes, uh, in this proof, the R becomes silent. So, what happens to the word proof when the R becomes silent? First of all, are you there? Yeah, it goes poof. Yeah, it's no longer proof. So, first you make the proof into poof. Yeah, then (laughs) that person starts to get nervous because for the logician, the whole thing rests on the proof. (laughs) On the proof. And when you're questioning the proof itself, and it's very easy to question the proof, because he has not proved anything here. The Nayyayika has not proved anything. What have they proved? Yeah, so the, the you cannot, you know, you cannot juxtapose, you know, you cannot say that the palace is a microcosm, you know, of how the Jagat was constructed. That's ridiculous. Yeah, because the palace is inside the Jagat, or no? Yeah, it is. <laughs> so... You you have another problem here, and then the second problem. So the first problem is that the proof goes, poof, finished. And then the second problem is that you cannot infer Ishvara, because if Ishvara is inferred, then you know anarthakhyam syat, anarthakhyam (laughs) means the the whole uh, shruti, you know how many Shrutis we have. We have what, 108 Upanishads plus another so many Upanishads, and then primary, you know, these are all uh, uh, words used by all the academics. What is that? Primary Upanishads, secondary Upanishads, this, that. All the Upanishads are useless. Why, why are we having this one month course? if we can just observe a construction site and then immediately go into contemplation about you know on ishvara of course then we have to ask the question which ishvara because there are many of them <laughs> there are many of them so which ishvara are you talking about okay let me let me just be accommodative and com- contemplate on many ishvaras you know ridiculous and so therefore what so therefore the you know the second uh, you know way in which we counter this nonsense this 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 proof business uh, you know is is to say that your argument is flawed because you know ishvara is revealed through the upanishads which is a means of knowledge on its own ah, this is the most important countering So how do you come to know about Ishvara? How did the Valakhyayas here come to know about Ishvara? They did not infer that Ishvara exists. They came to know through the study of the Upanishads because this is the question that they are asking. They are asking about the existence of Ishvara who is Atindriya Bhuta, who is a being that is not available for objectification of the senses which includes the other pramanas also the other knowledge means that we have at our disposal. So it atindriya means it brings in inference, it brings in all other forms of reasoning, it brings in arthapatti, you know many step inference, anumana one step inference. So these are the tools through which I come to know objects in the universe, I can see You know I can hear, I can touch, taste, smell, I have blessed with a sense of smell. I can take in smells and so all these become what? These are all various you know sense organs. They are called primary pramana, pratyaksha pramana and the mula pramanas. And so these are the, the ways in which I look at the universe and come to certain conclusions about the universe. And then we have some other secondary pramanas. So all these five is one. This is the direct, it is called direct perception. Directly seeing it or hearing it, or directly coming to know through the use of jnanendriyas or sense organs. Then we have some indirect means of knowledge, like one step inference. What is one step inference? One step inference is, you know, oh, you look at the road and it is wet, therefore it must have rained. One step inference, you know. You didn't see it raining because you were fast asleep. You know, you were, uh, you were raining in the dream world, but you didn't see it raining. And so therefore what? You inferred that when the roads are wet, it would have rained because you have observed it previously, you know. So like this, one step inference many step inference, you know, like all the medical uh, knowledge of all the medical, uh, you know, literature. If it works on a rat, it will definitely work on you. (laughs) You know, so like this, many step inferences are there. And then there is upama, you come to know of something because something looks like something else, you know. And uh, the lavender fields in uh, Nice, which is in the south of France, look just like the wild flowers in the himalayas you know there is that uh, there is a whole uh, wild flower season from september to november in the himalayas and on the way to badri badrinath people take a little side trek and go see the wild flowers so you don't know what the wild flowers are, are like or let's say you don't you, you don't think you'll ever go to the south of france and so if somebody says the wild flower here in the himalayas is just like the lavender, you know, the lavender fields in France when they are in bloom. And so like this, you can, you know, through some example, you come to know something. You know, that is is another means of knowledge upama. And then we have, you know, anupalabdhi. Anupalabdhi means what? You know, the the cognizance of absence. How do you know that there is not a pot in my hand? Karadale, ghato, nasty. How do you know that there is no pot in my hand? How do you know? You you can't say I, I because I see it. You don't see pot. You only see my hand. And why there is nothing in the hand? That's what you're saying because there is no elephant. You know your tata is not in my hand, Your the elephant is not in my hand, and uh, this even a toy elephant is not in my hand, nothing is in my hand, so it's not that you are observing the, the you know you are observing the pot, you are observing the absence of the pot in the hand, so you are observing the absence of something specific at a location, so the cognizance of absence is also an important means of knowledge, and then you know, and then which of the ones are you going to use to learn about Ishwara's existence? You cannot say, I infer Ishwara, because we already struck that down. You cannot say, you know, Ishwara is like, because Ishwara is not like anything. You cannot say, you know, I am I'm going to directly perceive Ishwara. And then I'm going to look for him here, there, everywhere. That also is not going to happen. And so therefore what, you know? So therefore, we we say that we need one more means of knowledge through which we understand the, the Bhagavan and that knowledge is the Shruti, the Veda. The Veda is its own means of knowledge which is on a par with your eyes and ears. So just like you say, I saw it with my own eyes, I heard it with my own ears, just like you say that. You know, you have to say I saw it with the Upanishad. <laughs> you have to say that. That's why it is true. But uh, but uh, but uh, but how can I say this? Because I, I, Upanishad says Ishvara exists, but I don't perceive Ishvara existing. Exactly. That's why you need another meaning of, uh, means of knowledge. You know, if you say I believe my five senses more than your Upanishad then that is going contrary to the nature of the means of knowledge. Why? How is it contrary? It is contradicting the means of knowledge, what constitutes a means of knowledge. Because you cannot say, you know, I see you, but you don't exist because I don't hear you. (laughs) You are sitting quietly. I don't hear you, therefore I don't see you. It makes no sense. One means of knowledge cannot contradict another means of knowledge. Because each one is a Raja in its own realm. Yeah. Because what you hear, you know, or what you don't hear, cannot contradict what you see or what you don't see. You don't exist because I see you, but I don't hear you. If you existed, I would hear you. That means what you are giving primacy to the ears when something that is already established by the eyes, you don't need the ears here. That is, you know, one means of knowledge is enough. And so one means of knowledge cannot contradict another means of knowledge. And therefore the Veda stands apart as as a pair of eyes. Because we cannot see with with our own limited means of knowledge the the limitless. So we have a means of knowledge that reveals Ishvara in a very unique way by removing everything that is Anishvara, not Ishvara, by removing Anisha, it reveals Isha. Amazing, really, because Ishvara is you. It is already an established fact, Siddhavastu. But even the Siddhavastu, which is an already established fact, It is self revealing, it is self effulgent and if I cannot see it, I need an attitudinal adjustment and that has to be understood properly. And that attitudinal adjustment is removing all the things that are blocking this sight and that is what the role of the Upanishad is. So the eyes, you know, and the ears help you to to see. And the Veda helps you remove all the things in the way because of which you cannot understand. That is what it is. So the Veda removes ignorance, Upanishad removes ignorance, and through this removal, the the, the, the presence is revealed. And what kind of a presence? A self-effulgent glorious presence, and this glory which belongs to Bhagavan is revealed through the Upanishad. This is what we have to you know tell the nayayika. Now the nayayika is sweating profusely. So one hanky you gave already because he had fallen flat, another hanky you give, you give the poor fellow to wipe the face because he is sweating profusely, because the the whole, you know. Uh, the the whole premise upon which his idea of establishing ishvara through inference has been taken away so this is how to counter that you say that this is an original means of knowledge the only difference between the eyes ears pratyaksha pramana the direct perception and the veda is that you operate your sense organs You decide decide how to see, when to see, when not to see, all these things. You operate the sense organs, whereas the knowledge operates on you. That's how it is. So the Pramana called Shabda, words, words of the Upanishad. Words here means knowledge. So this Pramana in the form of the knowledge of the Upanishad acts upon you anesthetizes the ahankara and then you know cuts through all the tumors and everything standing in the way and then what? And then brings the person back to the glory of their self. And what is this tumor? A tumor is wrong understanding of the self. So just like a doctor cannot excise a tumor while the person is awake because then the person will have input. you know are you using the right scalpel that looks awfully sharp are you okay are you cutting in the right place what are you doing you know and i think did you get all the tumor out or the, i'll get another tumor after 5 years so please do this you know now the, the this is what the this is what the thing does this is what the, the patient would do therefore the doctor before even the surgeon goes in she or he sends an anesthesiologist who puts the person out and the operation is done. Here too the ahankara is put out <laughs> literally and figuratively and then for the shabda pramana to take place. That's why adhikaritvam, that's why reduction of and management of ragadvejas, that's why gaining shama dama, etc. It's all for the ahankara. This is all ways in which the ahankara is put to bed, so that the knowledge can take place. Otherwise, ahankara fights constantly <laughs> with the teaching, and so now the nayayika says, you know, now the nayayika has gone. Why? Because the nayayika can't stand there. Why can't he stand there? Because the ground, uh, uh, you know, on which his feet are resting, has start to has started to shake so he vacates the place and leaves the leaves the uh, leaves the area clear for us to go forward with this leaves the area extremely clear for us to go forward with this uh, with this uh, you know understanding and uh, so this uh, you know so now this discussion here is what jagat karta. and who is this jagat karta? this jagat karta here is described in many many ways the jagat karta, let's see all the attributes uh, sorry not attributes again we have to use the proper um, uh, proper you know uh, words here so let us see what are the, the the adjectives used to describe this jagat karta and here the, to describe Bhagavan. So then idrishi mahima, idrishi mahima, so the one who is wielding, wielding means what? The one who is uh, uh, wielding, wielding means the, uh, the one in whose hands this glory rests. And what what is the glory? The glory to animate everything in the universe the glory to create, the glory to sustain the creation, the glory to take back that animating force when it's time, and the glory to unleash all these orders, including the law of karma, the order of the law of karma, all these orders, all these laws, the one who wields effortlessly, like even Vishnu, Mahavishnu on the on the original coiled spring mattress. <laughs> yeah So uh, you know sitting there, you know sarvam Sarvammbibharti, lying down, lying down, he you know has every he, he sustains the whole universe, very beautiful. And so like this, this being the one who possesses this glory, nay the one who is manifest as this Shakti to, to bring everything into into form, give it a form, give it a name, they animate it, you know, and how to? How does it animate it? By actually entering into those very forms, very names, by entering into those very names and forms, animates the whole jagat as though, and then what? You know, ati itself is atindriya, itself is not objectifiable. Why? Because it is the very subject. Uh, the, the, the one who is trying to figure out this Ishvara is Ishvara. And the one who is trying to objectify this Ishvara is Ishvara. The one who is trying to infer the Ishvara is Ishvara. And so therefore, the one who is not available as an object for the senses. Why? Because the one who is limitless. The senses and their activity are limitless, limited. So the limited cannot reveal the limitless. And, and then, Prachodayita, the one who animates everything, makes everything move flawlessly, we have to see, we have to add there. Infallibly speaking, flawlessly. So, the one who, uh, uh, you know, does this, please let us know. Yat Vetsi, whatever you know about this, O Lord Maitri, you know, tadeva, tad, tad asma bruhi iti. Please, you know, tell us this please share this knowledge with us and then you know and then this one what's his name the uh, lord brahmaji you know says tan ho bacha iti. the lord brahmaji then says to them that you know and and gives a long answer and that we will we'll, uh, see this in detail tomorrow ok om pur Nasya poor Namada, Gapur Om Shantish, Shantish, Shanti, Hari Om, Shri Guru Namaha, Om.